What is up? Andrew P here from the Seven Figure Fitness Business Podcast. Today, Andrew G and I interviewed Connor Inch, who is actually the copywriter behind our fitness brand, our fitness empire. He's written some of the copy that has made us millions. Honestly, that's not an exaggeration. He's fantastic at what he does. We've had a couple of bad copywriters in the past who tried to write for our brand unsuccessfully. His has always landed extremely powerfully. And he also helps mentor our clients inside of our coaching program with Systems by Design. In today's discussion, we talked about so many great things, branding, polarizing, basically things to look out for in a good copywriter versus a bad copywriter, whether you should be writing your own copywriter or thinking about hiring somebody and in what circumstances. There was a lot of really great stuff um, that I know is going to help you. This will be a particularly uh, cool episode for those of you that are having issues with the quality of your brand. And that might mean that, say, for example, you're spending money on ads or you're even doing things organically and you're not getting a lot of traction. If you're looking to have more leads and better quality leads, and so therefore to make your marketing and your sales process, you know, your client acquisition process easier and more powerful, then this is going to be one worth listening to. Now, same as always, we appreciate your support and we would love to ask you to please give us a like and subscribe on the platforms that you are listening to this podcast. We really hope you enjoy the episode. All right. So, Connor, we're here with Connor Inch. Connor, you've been our copywriter in our fitness business for a long time. You've helped us make a lot of money off some of the landing pages and the branding that you help us do. Tell us a little bit about, you know, I guess, copywriting and why it's so important. Yeah, sure. I could probably speak for hours and hours about why copywriting is so important. Mm. And I think you guys really, uh, over the last year, have seen the value of good copywriting. It's essentially salesmanship in writing. And, you know, if, if you want to sell your stuff and be successful, you need to know how to do copywriting, uh, especially in the online space, especially with how competitive it's getting as well. You know, maybe 10 years ago, you could stick an ad up and you could fill your fitness program up, but there's so much competition. You just need to know how to write, to grab attention, take people on this journey and convert them into paying customers. Yeah. How do you define what copywriting actually is? I mean, you, I guess you kind of just said it, but I'm interested in your definition. Yeah, uh, I think the, the high-level definition is what I've said, that it's salesmanship in print, you know, with, with the written word. Obviously, you know, AP, you're, a, you're an expert salesman yourself, so you understand how powerful salesmanship is. Mm. If you look at it at a more granular level, then you start talking about um, how you incorporate elements of psychology, how you're uh, incorporating elements of influence, and you're kind of really getting into the mind of the prospect. And that's actually a very important thing with copywriting. That's probably one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is they don't write to their prospect. They write what they think sounds good, what they think sounds appealing. Yeah, AG, I think you've come across that a fair bit as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I loved what you said there. And I think this is what people do fail to understand is that copywriting is effectively the start of the sales process. So AP, I'd like to introduce you to Connor. He's the guy who makes your sales calls super, super easy, right? And yeah, I think you deserve a further introduction than that because you know, I consider you like our million dollar secret man in that, you know, you probably have made us about, you know, over a million dollars just with your words, right? And I think that's one of the things it's like the word, you know, I think there's a famous saying, it's like the word sell, right? Or you can correct me on that, whatever it is. But I suppose like, you know, what you effectively do and what you do to make our life really easy is we just say, hey, we've got this brand. We want to work with Fit Over 50. We want to work with uh, Fit Over 45. We want to work with menopause. We want to work with thyroid. And you're actually the guy who comes in 
and writes out exactly what we do and kind of almost, in a way, designs our brand for us. Yeah, that's very kind of you to say those things. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to fit through the door with this size of my head right now, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, you're spot on. And I think the reason why I've been able to help you with your offers, and I don't mean this in an egotistical way, is, as I said, understanding the customer. You know, obviously, I'm not a 50-year-old woman going through menopause, yet I'm able to write ads and pages that resonate with them. And it's not because I'm super special or anything like that. It's just because I spend that time researching and to the point where I almost feel like I'm one of them. Like on an emotional level, I understand the pain they're going through. I remember doing one of the early projects I did for you as a thyroid project. I remember hopping on the phone with a friend who's got Hashimoto's and just chatting to her for like an hour just to you know, understand that pain and, and struggle that they're going through and the day in their life, basically. What, what does that look like? Mm. So when people like, you know, obviously, you know, that's really great. That was one of the things that, you know, really spoke volumes to me about the quality of you as a person and what you do with your copy is the fact that you did all of that research. You know, what is, you know, when a, when a client hits a landing page, what is it that you want them to be thinking? How should their relationship start? That's a good question. So you're talking about like, uh, you know, a 50-year-old woman lands on this page. What do I yeah. want them to think? Yeah, what's the first thing you want them to think? I want them, to, well, first we want it to look legit. So there needs to be trust there because there's probably going to be a lot of scepticism. It really depends on what's been said in the ad before and how warm the audience is, you know, how do you have a relationship with them? Let's assume there's no relationship there or, or a very uh, light relationship. I want to trust. I want them to feel excited and I want I want them to feel, I, I guess I want a sense of, sense of curiosity and in, uh, intrigue. So I want to get a clear benefit across um, and I want it to, and this depends on the audience as well, I want it to sound unique, but I don't want it to sound gimmicky, mm. if that makes sense. So... Yeah, I, I don't like the, certainly for the, the people you work with, those over-the-top kind of, you know, rare Amazonian three-second technique uh, to lose 10 pounds of fat. That kind of headline won't work, but you still need to get them excited, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, when you zoom out, I mean, every every line of copy from the headline, you know, all the way down through to the subhead and your body copy, the job of each line is to get the, the reader to read the next line. That's, that's all you're trying to get them to do is just go through that journey, keep them hooked and, and engaged the whole time. You know, Connor, like something that's really fascinating, I find, about the way that you do you copy. I mean, it's really copywriting in general, but certainly you have a huge impact on this. I always see paid ads as really condensing time. And, you know, organic, basically, people have been stalking somebody for a long time, potentially. They might have been stalking them for months. So by the time they get on a sales call, they know everything about that person. They know their personality. They're probably a fanboy or a fangirl. They're kind of like really excited about that, but the process is so slow. And what you help Andrew do and effectively the company do is acquire new com- uh, new customers faster. So they don't know anything about us. They see one of Andrew's ads, they they opt in. Next thing you know, they're on one of your landing pages or, or one of the landing pages that you've written long copy for where they're learning a huge amount about what we do. There's a problem that they've got that I imagine you're agitating. You're giving them the things that they don't want, the things that they do want. Next thing you know, they're reading an ad that they feel, as you said, it's designed perfectly for them. And there's such a lot of power in that. Like by the time our salespeople get these people on the phone to chat to, they're already like halfway sold. And so there's a huge amount of power and skill in that process. Yeah, you're right. And I think uh, a mistake a lot of people make, certainly with the the type of offers that you guys run, you know, the, the high ticket fitness offers, legitimate offers that, that help people. That's important as well, by the way. Yep. It's not a crappy offer. It's that everything you do is life-changing, which makes it easy for me to write for. Yeah, you, you, you've got to remember you're not selling the program until they're on the call. 
So I'm not trying to, uh, although there is a little bit of pre-selling to an extent, I'm not going hard on selling the program and every feature and benefit that it has. I'm kind of just selling them. There's a a, a metaphor analogy in the copywriting world is you you sell them candy and you give them broccoli. So you're not misleading them. You You kind of just build up this excitement about what they want and what they're going to get. And you make it logical. We back it up with logic, but by and large, you're appealing to emotion. And and then we're just selling that call. We just want them to feel comfortable, confident enough, excited enough, uh, have enough trust to actually book that call. And then obviously, as a highly skilled salesperson can then take that and and close it. So it it, it goes hand in hand, I think. I want to grab an example, actually, from one of our landing pages that I really love. And, you know, what we talk about is we talk about having a slow metabolism. And, you know, we're saying, you know, the key line on that part of the landing page is it's not your fault, right? And, you know, whether the landing page is, you know, you know whether, you know, having a slow metabolism is their fault or isn't their fault, maybe they just eat too much food. We're telling them that. Is that like an example of like giving them what they um, want to hear and then giving them what they need, like we deliver what they need after in the program? Yeah, that's a common copywriting technique across all niches because no one likes to be blamed. No mm. one likes to be told you're you're eating crap. It's your fault that you're overweight. You know, it's all on you. Want to remove the blame? If I can, if I can legitimately blame an external force, sometimes we can even use that as a common enemy. Then that also creates a bond. And and yeah, it's kind of human nature to to not want to take the blame. Oh, it's not my fault. It's because of this. And the fact that actually. Nine times out of ten, it's actually not their fault. It's truthful, makes it all the more, all the more, uh, makes the argument stronger. So, Connor, I, I'm fascinated by finding out your opinion on why some brands fail. And I want to preface it by saying I know you've already spoken that some people make the mistake of speaking about themselves and what they think is important. But beyond that, why do some landing pages get zero results and some are fantastic? What are some of the key things that you look for or mistakes perhaps to avoid? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many things. So, like you said, the key things. A weak offer. That's the key thing. Like uh, a weak offer. Is this actually what your audience wants? What is a weak offer? A weak offer. It, there's no. There's nothing. There's no big promise. There's no big pain point that you're fixing. Mm, yeah. Uh, and it's just yeah. It's not promising it. Like like you know, fit over fifty. The whole premise of that is is based around health, but also quitting dieting. That's like the, the two end. You know, interlinked. And, and it's a very big pain point for that niche. So that's why, well, you know, it's, it's a great offer. It's, it's exactly what they need. You know, copywriting is really important. It's a really valuable skill, but you can't polish a turd. You know, if the offer's not there, <laughs> you're not giving the audience, like I said, sell them candy. If you're not selling them the candy, or, or I heard it recently, give them, you know, sell them their crack. If you're not giving that to the audience, then they're not going to be interested in it. No amount of good copy is going to do that. So you've got to really think, and this goes back to research, you've got to really think about what your audience wants, what they're struggling with, what they want to hear, mm-hmm. and then building your offer around that. Now, obviously, you can take that the full other way, right? So, you know, I know we've talked about this previously, but there's also extremely unethical pitches. I think in one of our conversations, we talked about the fact that what's the dream message? And it's like, okay, well, don't do any exercise, eat whatever food you like, sit on your couch, watch TV, drink the shake, and you're going to be shredded to pieces. Yeah. Yeah, and that comes down to, to your own ethics and, and your own morals as to whether you want, to, you want to make those kind of claims. And sometimes it's covered by law as well. You know, I've seen people make claims about cancer and things like that, and I'm like, you, you should probably soften that claim because, A, well, it's probably legal, but also your audience isn't stupid. So, yes, you might 
trick a few people. But by and large, if it seems too good to be true as well, then it's probably unbelievable. So you kind of have to take them through this journey where you're stating your case, if that makes sense. You don't, you wouldn't just come like if, and this would be unethical to do, but if you wanted to say we can cure cancer, for example, you wouldn't just say that straight off the bat. You would build your case slowly and make those logical connections. And then it all ties in at the end to that argument. Yeah, I suppose like one of the things that we often say to our members is it's like you want to get like you want that really strong message, but you've got to do that within your ethics and values. One of the things that I see that, you know, you see a lot of and maybe even it's a little bit overdone is the whole flexible dieting message where it's like, hey, eat burgers, pizza, drink beer and still lose weight. Why do you think that particular one is so effective? You're giving the audience crack. <laughs> you're giving them their crack you're selling the candy that's what they want to hear man i mean who wouldn't want to get in shape and still be able to go to the pub with their mates or if they're if, you know not to generalize or stereotype but if they're middle-aged women you know go out with their friends and have wine and, and uh, mm. nibblies and chocolate and stuff like that and be able to do that yeah. that's what they want and you can legitimately if you've got the knowledge obviously you can legitimately give them that mm. now misleading would be saying you know you can literally eat McDonald's every day and you'll be healthier and you'll feel better because that's not true. So, mm. you know, it's, it's just about, yeah, painting that dream picture, but not taking it, not pushing it so far that it becomes uh, unbelievable, uh, unethical and not true. Yeah. Well, that's one of the messages that we definitely push in some of our landing pages that you've written. But I feel really, really good about that message because at no point in time do we ever over-exaggerate that. We clearly just make a claim, hey, you can eat these foods. You can have a sustainable you know, balance, you know, you can create yourself a lifestyle and you're going to be able to achieve your results to achieving this. So I suppose that's the example of people want to hear that. And when we get on the phone, we sell them. And then when they actually get into the program, there's these whole checklist of things that they actually, you know, dealing with customers in the past, they didn't actually realize that they have a problem with. And then we solve all of those things and that solves the bigger picture. One thing that we do, and I'm just really interested, like we obviously do like a 26-week program it's a 26 week challenge do you think that you know going with something like a seven day challenge you know is going to get better results than going for a longer term sort of program results for the client or results for you as a fitness business owner well obviously they're extremely different like for a fitness business obviously <laughs> we want 26 weeks because we want to lock them in on you know a longer period of time but in terms of response to advertising do you think there's a difference it's hard for me to say to be honest because again it comes around it comes down to the offer yeah, of course. See, my gut would say that staying 26 weeks to get XYZ results sounds like a long time and yeah. then put people off. Yet some of the best performing ads say that. So, and this actually teaches an important lesson because it doesn't matter what I as a copywriter think uh, to an extent, you know, I obviously have a certain understanding. Uh, it doesn't matter what you think, what, what you, you know, any other fitness business owner thinks it's what your audience thinks that matters. So, and that comes onto a whole other important topic in direct response copywriting, which is actually measuring and testing what's working. So just throwing out these different ideas. Because if I, let's say I, I was outright ignorant to the fact that, uh, you know, 26 weeks could be a good thing to say in, in a, at the ad level, we never say it, then I could be leaving a ton of money on the table because it could turn out that saying that building an ad around that 26 weeks could be your most profitable ad. So mm. you have to remove your own biases. As a, as a marketer, and as a copywriter, you have to remove those biases and be willing to test different ideas. Uh, and let the audience tell you what, what's working. So kind of a long-winded way to say that I can't give you a def definitive answer and you have to let your audience tell you, but mm. it, it's based around the offer as well, you know. Yeah, I think 
like one of my like my when we you know we always jump on the phone all the time and have a chat. I think like every conversation we've ever had, we book in for like half an hour. And we end up still talking ninety minutes later. Yeah. And one of the things that I, I really love talking to you about is like the mathematics behind you know the ads that you put out and actually sharing with you and saying, hey, this one worked, this one didn't work. And it's very, very hard to pick. Sometimes like you look at something that's the best copy in the world and other times you look at something and you go, I don't know if that one's going to perform. You know, it's it's a fascinating world and I suppose like it's one of these things like copywriting, there's a real mathematical sort of sense to it to figure out what's going, what works and what doesn't. Yeah, for sure. I mean, direct response, there's, there's a few different types of copywriting, which I won't get into today, but direct response copywriting is, is, is what I do. Mm. And as a direct response copywriter, you should be able to understand the numbers and yeah, be able to analyze them to an extent, not to the ex- extent that an expert marketer or media buyer might be able to, but to have a good understanding and, you, and know how to use that data to create other iterations and ads to test and, and which ones to scale and things like that. To circle back to your point about you know, being surprised by some of the, the ads that work. Yeah, I mean, one of your best ads, which I, I won't say go into too much detail about it, one of your consistently best performing ads from a copywriting point of view shouldn't work. Yet it beats everything. Everything we throw at it, everything we try, you know, consistently time and time again beats, but it doesn't work for other people. And that's, yeah, that's why you, you just got to keep testing and trying new ideas, new angles. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the, I feel in the very privileged position working with our clients all the time and actually seeing, you know, what works and what doesn't. And it is very unique. It's diverse because you're taking into account so many different brands. You're taking into account different geographical locations, which is another big thing. And we're very, very lucky to have you as a part of our team. You know, you're actually in there looking at our client results, looking at how they're going and helping our guys with their copy. What do you think are some of the best brands you've seen right now? In general? Yeah, in general, general, maybe something you see in the course or, you know, things that are working really, really well. Is there a particular niche or anything like that? Uh, there's a lot of e-com brands that are doing very well. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of merit to uh, serious fitness business owners that want to learn how to do copywriting and start scaling ads. There's a lot of merit to studying other brands, even if they're not in the same niche. Mm. So I'd be looking at very popular e-com stores. I'd be looking at the ads that pop up in your newsfeed based on your interest. Even if it's nothing to do with fitness, I would just be going through and looking at what, having a think about what the ad's doing. Oh, this first line is asking me a really curiosity-driven question. It's got me thinking about something. So now I need to read this next line. Uh, or maybe the first line is like a shocking statement. Just kind of start looking at everything that's, you know, popping up on your newsfeed through an analytical lens. And if you have a, a, an ads blocker, then remove that and allow yourself to actually start receiving ads and um, start breaking them down. It would be too hard for me to recommend you know, these guys are awesome. You must do copy the way that these guys do. I guess you want to look, you know, success leaves clues. You want to look at some of the big brands and to circle back to fitness. I mean, V-Shred, those guys, whether you believe in their claims or, or their ethics align with you or whatever, throw that out the window. Their advertising is good. Yeah, so so kind of brands on that kind of level. I ask, gonna, I, I've read one copywriting book in my life. So obviously I'm an expert. But one of the things that it said in the book, which I thought was really spot on, is one of the ways to actually get better at copywriting is to actually really pay attention to the copy that really got you. And there's certain people out there in business that I follow. And whenever they write a piece of copy, I'm just like, fuck, like they got me again. And I'm like, I I even think I don't even need this thing, but I'm like reading the copy going, damn it. you know. And, And sometimes they'll be writing it in such a seductive way 
you know, but most of the time what will happen is that there's a problem that I either may or may not have been massively thinking about. But regardless, by the time I finish reading the article, they've agitated the heck out of it. And now I want what they're selling. I want that crack that they're selling me, you know? And, and so it, it really brings up a question for me, which is, you know, in terms of niching, some people say go super niche. Some people say you can keep it broad. What's your thoughts on this? And if you are okay with broad niches, how do those broad niches still stand out from the herd? Okay. Yeah, good questions. And, and, and it's different for everyone. You know, I don't want to cop out of giving these definitive answers. I think most people should niche down. How far though as well? Yeah, again, not a blanket statement, but for most people, they want to, you want to make sure that the niche is broad enough. Mm-hmm. Like the mistake I see some people make is like, uh, I, I'm just going to pull this out of thin air, but they might target women aged 30 to 40 with fertility problems who don't have a college degree, who are divorced. Do you know what I mean? It's just like too many specifics. Whereas if you just t- target like infertile women uh, who are struggling with their weight, that's specific enough that you can become an authority and stand out in that niche and help a specific group of people. But it's bigger. It's going to be a big enough audience that you can scale and yeah reach enough people because that's a that's a very important thing people don't don't think about on the flip side if you're too general generally just drown out in the noise so if you're going general typically you'd want to build a solid brand and that's where branding comes into things and you have to have something that's different Mm. so you're appealing to general people but you kind of have to start going with how your approach is very unique and different and as you start going into these topics of like uh, the different stages of awareness, the different levels of sophistication and things like that of your buyer, which again would be like a, a couple of hour conversation we could have. Well, I'd love to discuss busy professionals because that's obviously a niche that everybody wants to do because logically it makes sense, right? These people are busy, so they need something that's going to help them save time and they've got money because they're professionals. But so many people are doing that niche that it's kind of almost not become a niche. So if someone did want to do that niche, like, do you have some tips as to how they could improve it in any way? Yeah, it's the whole thing. Like, I, 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 I have some problems with busy professionals. I think it's probably similar to you. Is it's it's yeah. just such a it's a weak niche. Yeah, that's another thing about picking your niche. You know, a niche that has a big problem. Same with your offer. Does it fix a problem? You need to look at you know what the niche's problem is. Busy professionals are just too broad. Yeah. So. You want to get specific, I guess, to stand out from everyone else that's saying busy professionals. But again, you don't want to limit yourself too much. Yeah. So this is where perhaps you start off targeting entrepreneurs, CEOs, and executives. Still busy professionals, but you're saying it in a different way, if that makes sense. You know, just making that blanket statement of busy professionals. Maybe you build your whole offer specifically for business owners. And then further down the line, if you prove that concept, you can then make tweaks to the offer. And this is a very smart thing to do that I know you guys do, where you just change the messaging a little bit to appeal to a different, slightly different niche within that. So we, we, we've started off appealing to entrepreneurs and then we go into the CEOs. Maybe you go into like military and ambos and firefighters and stuff like that. It's all essentially the same offer. You're just kind of branching out and changing the messaging to suit, suit those niches. But yeah, busy professionals, in my opinion, is one of those things that sounds good to the business owner, but doesn't sound good to the audience. Yeah. I think, I think there's so many new different ways to break that down. And, you know, like one of the things that you've helped us a lot with is, you know, we've got our brands, but we've really, really dived deep into sub-niches. So while there's, you know, thyroid, menopause, fit over 50, fit over 45, we then go with fit over 50. It's like, okay, well, let's focus on people who have slow metabolisms. 
Let's focus on people who have an emotional eating problem. Let's focus on people who want to end yo-yo dieting forever. And it's really just slight, you know, having these slightly different storefronts out the front. And you know, that for us has resulted in us getting cheaper and cheaper leads. So I 100% agree, like having the ability and flexibility to go more and more niche all the time is great. But what a lot of people do is they get caught up and it's a, it, it's a problem that sometimes prevents them and they don't try enough things. They simply just go after one thing. And sometimes you just have to accept that, you know, a niche or a brand or the sub-niche, something you go up, going after just isn't going to work. Yeah, for sure. If, if everything you did was going to work, I mean, you guys would be billionaires by now and I would be the highest paid copywriter in the world. I'd be sitting in a mansion, you know, sipping martinis right now if everything I did worked. I think a lot of fitness business owners, either knowingly or unknowingly, I'll probably say unknowingly because I used to be a fitness business owner as well. They have a scarcity mindset when it comes to testing new ideas or paying others like copywriters and stuff like that. And I, I get it, especially when you're just starting out. Or So if the only resource you have is time, then yeah, you need to be t- always testing new things. It's a very good use of your time to, to be testing new, new ideas. Because like you said, you start driving lead costs down. You start being able to scale an entire brand and reaching new people. And you're acquiring customers on the front end, but then you're also, you've got these customers that could become, you know, the best customer, future customers you have are you, your existing customers. So you've got people that might buy something from you further down the line as well. And you're just casting that net wider and wider while, you know, by being creating these little specific segments. Mm. So yeah, you've you got to not be afraid of failure. You've just got to think, okay, I'm going to try this hook. I'm going to try this idea. Okay, it bombed. Uh, I, I lost a couple of hundred bucks. No worries. On to the next one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think like there's a lot of people, you know, they even then they look for they look for average, right? And, you know, one of the great things about hiring you is we're just a short quality. But it's like when people keep on focusing on having a brand that's okay, that does well, one of the things that I see is you've got, some of our clients who come in and, you know, they've got really average brand. It's poor. It, you know, when you look at it, it's not visually good. The copy isn't written well. You've got other people who come in and, you know, they've got an average brand. It's doing okay. The numbers look good. But for me, like, you always need to be striving for excellence. You always need to be finding that unicorn of a brand. And, you know, one of the reasons that we've kept on working with you like, over and over again, obviously everything's incredible, but we keep looking for that unicorn. Right. And sometimes you just hit that brand and all of a sudden our leads just drop in half. You know, we've been paying $100, they drop down to like less than $50 and we're just absolutely cheering. But the thing about that is that those numbers, you know, will appeal to a certain market. And with our budget, we need to keep things fresh. So that's one thing to think about, I suppose, for, you know, any of the listeners who are going, okay, well, you know, how do I find a good brand? Having that ability to be flexible. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, it should, and I think a lot of business owners get so so caught up in. Uh, and again, it's understandable when they're first kind of scaling and have got a lot to do. But they get so caught up in running their business, the day to day, that they don't actually. And it's a cliche; they don't, they're so busy working in their business, they're not working on their business. I think these things require a lot of thought, and I think that's where our calls, like when you and I have calls, and they end up going for an hour and a half, two hours, when they're supposed to be like 20, 30 minutes, is because we start thinking you know we're talking we're engaging we're having conversations so i think a, a really good tip for guys that are looking to grow is maybe buddy up with someone and hop on a call every now and then someone who's at a similar level to you and just talk through and uh, your niche and their, their pains and their struggles and try and ex- you know see if you can get some ideas and thoughts going just write stuff down just take notes for it you know when we're talking you hear me typing i'm like <laughs> furiously typing away 
And if you can't do that, just set some side of time to think. I think thinking is one of the a serious skill that most people most people lack. Uh, and I don't mean that in a condescending way. I'm talking about obviously they think and they make logical decisions, but having that time where you just like sit there with a notebook or you just meditate and now I'm getting a bit spiritual, but you just have a think about your brand and who you're appealing to and just let those thoughts come and go. And obviously if you're giving, if you're doing research, you're speaking to your audience and you're doing research, I said, you know, you should be, you've got more kind of uh, fodder for your thinking there as well. So yeah, I think that that's, that's the main thing. I've observed as well, like another area where people probably can go wrong is that, you know, particularly when they're getting started, there's a lot of people, they're people pleasers. And they also have potentially imposter syndrome. So they they seem to come out with brands that are very, very middle of the road. You know, it's like not going to upset anybody. I mean, I'm interested in your thoughts on, I don't know if the right word to say is polarization, but at least having a stance where there's things that you stand for and against. Like, do you consider that to be an important aspect of a strong brand or not? Yeah, you, you definitely need to have a stance. Uh, you need to have a, a tone of voice at least mm-hmm. and you need to appeal to, appeal to the right people. I don't think you should intentionally upset people. Uh, and that's that's something I say in my copy as well is, I, you know, I have that section near the start mm-hmm. where I, I kind of go through the, the pains that they're facing. At no point am I trying to make them feel like shit. Yeah. You know, it's I, I want them nodding along. I don't want to make it, I don't, I don't want to get the end of that and think, yeah, oh, my life sucks. I just want to go, okay, this person gets me. This person understands. And I see people, I've literally seen people write things like, you feel like a fat ass, a lazy fat ass. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that the right thing to say to these people? You know what you said before that I thought was spot on, though, is it's that concept of giving them a common enemy. And that common enemy doesn't have to be a person or, or, or them, of course. It can be, as you said, like an outside force. But at least by having that force and kind of calling it out, and not being afraid to do that, I think you can really endear people to what you're saying and kind of connect them at a higher level. Yeah, I think it is endearing. I think you're right. It does create that bond and that trust and that likability. I think I think that's important. When you're agitating the pain, certainly when you're in the depths of agitating the pain, you're not removing the blame at that point. So you're building up all this stuff. You know, this is what life's like. Uh, walking that, you know, that tightrope, making sure you're not feeling them bad, and then you remove that. You know, say oh, all of this that's happening to you is really not your fault. Mm-hmm. you know it's these crappy diet plans it's uh it's age your hormones are different it's a decline in testosterone whatever it is yeah. you want it and, and when you're removing the blame as well the mistake i see people making is they go too complex just make that logical connection between where they are and what you're blaming like just make it so super logical you don't have to write pages and pages just like a thesis summary of you know statement of why this is happening to you yeah yeah, no, awesome. Now, also, like, the other thing we want to address, like copywriting is a very highly valued skill. It's a very, very important skill, and it's a skill that can make people a lot of money. So the price tag on it is never cheap. Someone's just getting started. They've got no freaking money. I think it's cheap. The amount of money it's made us, I think it's very cheap. <laughs> well, it's, it, it, it's, it's not cheap in the sense that the startup cost, it's a huge investment that's going to make you a ton of money. As you know, anything that makes people money, usually there's capital involved to get started, but the amount of return it can make you is insanely worth it. But let's say I'm just getting started. I've got a business and I'm kind of a bit scared. Don't have a whole lot of cash. You know, how do I get started? Like, how do I make sure that my copy isn't completely shit ass? Basically, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question, and I just want to touch on something quickly as well. Is is something important you said? Is investing in a copywriter can make you a lot of money? Can yeah, 
like I said, you, you know, you're never guaranteed a result. So I don't want anyone to come out of this and think, I'll hire a copywriter, copywriter and I'll make millions. Like you're paying for the probability of a result, but no one can guarantee it. But to circle back here yeah, to how can you make sure your copy isn't completely crap? It probably will be at first because it's much like going in the gym. You've got to do reps and sets. Mm-hmm. The important thing is that you do those reps and sets. So you can't just sit back and think, I'm not going to write copy because I'm bad at it. I'm never going to write copy. You've just got to get that bad copy out of your system and get it done. So just start writing stuff. Now, to make your bad copy at least average, mm-hmm. I would start studying other ads. Like I said, success leaves clues. Uh, I'd start joining email lists of uh, well-known copywriters. Just bear in mind, they will, they're so good at copywriting some of them that you will want to buy their expensive courses. So just bear that in mind that don't get... Look at what they're doing from a, you know, zoom out and look at what they're doing from an analytical point of view. Otherwise, you're going to spend thousands of dollars if I tell you to join these lists. And books, copywriting books. I'm trying to think of the, the key books. I've, I mean, I've read so many that would be great for a beginner. I think uh, So Like Crazy by Savory Subri is actually a very good book for beginners. Brilliant guy. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Uh, and there's not a lot of, there's not a ton of Aussie um, copywriters and there's hardly any that have written books. So, have you read Copywriting Secrets by uh, Jim Edwards? Jim. He's, the guy, he's the guy that did the... Uh, I, I found that great because as someone who doesn't know much about it, I understand like concepts of marketing. I thought he broke it down really well, but... I've heard really good things about that book. I think it is more of an entry-level book, so that's why I don't Absol- bother. Absolutely, it is, yeah. And I, yeah, I, if you recommend that, I, I believe you because I have heard a few people uh, recommend that. I think another one which is not technically a copywriting book to read would be Influenced by Robert Cialdini, um, yeah. which would help you with sales and just everyday life as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you guys met, by the way, because the way, the way that we sort of got connected with you is that you you and I kind of bumped into each other on Facebook. And I think you sort of mentioned what you did. And I said to Ghost and, hey, man, there's this guy, Connor, he's a copywriter. And I could tell immediately he was like, yeah, man, whatever. Like, you know, because you know what it's like. You meet people all the time on social media and you're like, who is this idiot kind of thing? And you guys connected. Next thing you know, you've done some copy for us and it's smashed it. So, you know, when someone is going to have a meeting with somebody like yourself, I'm sure there's great copywriters just the same as there's terrible copywriters. What should people be looking for in a, in a, in a thing like that? And even, even more so, how does that initial process work when you do bring on a copywriter? What should they expect? Okay. I mean, it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think the big thing is you want to see some kind of track record. And if they don't have a track record, I mean, the, be- the better and more experienced the copywriter is and the stronger the track record, generally, the more you'll pay for them because the higher your probability of getting a result. Now, there are some copywriters that are very good that still undercharge. But if you're, if you're willing to hire, you know, if you're going to pay someone and you don't have much of a budget, you want to look at at least some of their work that they've done. See, can they write? Does it make sense? Is it better than I could do? That's probably the, the minimum viable thing you want to do. The next thing I would do is I would test them out on a small project, which is exactly what we did with AG. I knew there was a bit of mistrust there based on previous experiences with, with copywriters and, and uh, other freelancers and so on, which many business owners have. So we agreed on just doing a small project just to give it a shot. And then obviously, you know, you saw straight away, okay, yeah, this is exactly what I wanted. Well, it's more than what I wanted. You were very happy. So yeah, I'd definitely do that. Um, I'd be looking to see if they know more about you than copywriting. Uh, when you, you know, you hop on a call with them and do they know, do they know what a click-through rate is? You know, do they understand the logic and science and persuasion of copywriting? Or do they have no clue? If they have no clue, then I probably wouldn't <laughs> probably wouldn't bother. Any other red flags apart from that? Like I know if I interview people for sales, there's certain things that I'm like, absolutely not, immediately no. Like are there any things that you would go- definitely don't go there? 
Yeah, it's kind of it's, it's very hard to answer that because I'm not on the hiring end usually of copywriters. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I, can, I, I do. I coach some copywriters, so I, I, I do see yeah. certain things. Let's say okay. Let's say you put an application out. You put a job on a jobs board, for example, mm-hmm. and you ask people to email you and apply. Anyone who a has not followed a simple instruction and b has made the application all about them should be automatically yeah. disqualified. I'll be looking for. And this is just me personally, even if their copy wasn't amazing, if they've put some effort, like they've researched me, yeah. they've put a ton of benefits in the application and they, or they've done something really quirky and unique that's not over the top and trying too hard, then I would probably consider having a conversation with them. And I saw the pain in your eyes there when I said about that, <laughs> they're not following simple instructions. It's amazing how many people don't do that. So that's a test you should have when you're hiring, you know, if you do put up a post or something like that. I'll, I'll add something in here, just back to what you were saying before. One of the first things that you did was you reviewed one of my previous landing pages. I paid, you know, a decent chunk of money, a lot of money um, for someone to make a landing page. And at the time, that was a reasonable amount of money even to the business um, to get this set up. And that landing page, I'd written one before, and that landing page was getting half the conversions of what I'd written. And I remember, like, one of the best things you did was you went on Loom and you gave me full feedback about the landing page and everything just made sense. So if you remember, this landing page was effectively selling hyperthyroid women, but it was talking all about me. And the one so of the arrogant things, as well. It was yeah, it's like you know, look so at me, look at me. And, and and I think like you know, these with hyperthyroid women, a lot of the time they're struggling with anxiety, depression, they don't like going to gyms, they're a little bit nervous. And here there are my bodybuilding photos of me uh, you know, losing weight and putting on uh, 20 kilos of muscle. Yeah. I think because that was one of our first interactions. And yeah. that's something else. Have you got, a, you know, are you speaking to a copywriter who perhaps will go the extra mile? Now, some copywriters are very busy, so you shouldn't just purely judge it on that. But, you know, have they actually taken the time to do a quick loom video and they're serious about your brand? Yeah, but I remember being quite diplomatic in that as well. I, I tore it to shreds, but in a very kind of diplomatic way. Because, yeah. uh, you know, the first time we interacted and, but yeah, I think that's that's something else that you can even do. You can even say, hey, okay, you know, I, I'm really considering work, hiring you as a copywriter. Do you mind spending five minutes just having a look at this page and just leave me some quick feedback? I'm not asking you to rewrite anything. Just like shoot a quick video or, or write some real brief notes. And just let me know what you think is wrong with this page. Yeah. You know, you don't have to tell me exactly what I need to do to improve. I'm not trying to get free work. So that's another thing. To, and this is something as a copywriter you're always doing is you're trying to put yourself in other people's shoes. So when you're hiring a copywriter, try and put yourself in their shoes as well. There's a high risk they're going to get ripped off. Mm-hmm. There's a high risk they're going to get lowballed. There's a you know there's so many different risks to them, and then there's a risk to you as a business owner that you're going to hire a crappy copywriter. And they're just going to take your money and run. So yeah, it's, it's kind of looking at things from from all of those points of views and, and weighing it up and, and doing what's reasonable to before you make an investment. You know to decide if you're going to make an investment. I remember the, the initial copy that were, that you know the one that Gosen's talking about that wasn't good. As soon as you sent me that, G, I remember just being like, I don't like it. It was very alpha male, kind of like drop and give me 20 a little, you know, uh, just like go, like, you know, it's kind of like that. And I just think there was quite a lot of just aggressive language that was so selling women who are kind of like between the ages of 50 and 70. It seemed very misaligned. And then what I remember being different is, you know, Andrew and I had both, you know, we'd worked a lot with our customers. So we knew them and their pains really well. When he sent me your one, I immediately liked it. And I remember the reason why is that, it just felt as though you'd kind of touched on all those major pain points and pleasure points, but just in a way that was far more eloquent than what I would have been able to do myself. You know, I don't have that creative writing ability that you had. And I was reading it on behalf of kind of our niche and thinking spot on, you know, it's just, it was a feeling I had straight away where I was immediately 
confident in it. So I guess that would be a lesson there is like, if you're reading copy that you've been given and you don't think it aligns with your niche, I'd say it's probably a pretty bad sign. Yeah, for sure. And that ties back into researching your niche and understanding your niche. If you don't understand your niche, a lot of people think they can just build a quick page, uh, you know, and this they'll start making millions. If you don't understand your niche, you're not going to know any of this stuff. If the copy is appealing, if the sale, you know, if the sales uh, messaging you're putting out is correct for them. And yeah, it, it was very misaligned. And that's something I see people doing all the time. I, I can usually tell if a guy has written a, an offer to females. And I like to think that most of the time when I'm writing to females, it looks like it's uh, written by a female. And I can't take all the credit for being able to do that. Uh, my mentor is a female. So that that helps a lot as well. Mm-hmm. So she's she's called me out on a lot of things in the past and that. So I'm very conscious of that kind of language. And there are little subtleties that you pick up as you go through. It's the whole thing of putting yourself in other people's shoes, which I think you guys are, are very good at. I think certainly AG, obviously, you know, we, we know each other a, a lot better quite well, I'd like to think. You seem like a very empathy-driven person like myself. Like you've got a lot of empathy and, and understanding for people. That's huge. That's that's very important. It's, it's showing that empathy in the copy. Yeah, sure. Awesome. It's yeah. been a killer. Do you have any other yeah. topics you guys want to address? I think there are going to be a lot of people who uh, want to know kind of how they can contact you. So what's the best way to anyone who's listening uh, to this where they can reach out and have a chat about getting some help? Yeah, sure. So. The best way is probably just to connect with me on Facebook. I have quite an unusual last name, so it's not too hard to find me. Uh, <laughs> it's just Connor Inch, C-O-N-N-O-R, and then I-N-C-H, uh, like the measurement, unfortunately. The other way, you know, if, if you're serious about finding a, a copywriter, you can email me at Connor at ConnorInch.com. And even if I can't help you, because, you know, I'm very busy with, with stuff for you guys and then my existing clients, I, I can connect people with trusted copywriters. Uh, and that's another thing. When you're looking for a copywriter, a referral from someone you trust and know is is worth its weight in gold. So, yeah, I'm happy to help anyone that, that needs a hand. I can send people in the right direction and, and give them help. We're definitely uh, referring everybody to you because, you know, <laughs> given the results that you've helped us achieve, you know, it's it's uh it's a solid referral coming from us. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to I, I give you the big gigantic seal of approval because you know, us as big as we are, you're writing a different landing page, different ads for us every other week. And I think like, you know, when you're actually deciding whether you're going to go with a copywriter or whether you're going to write for yourself, you just need to think of it as a mathematical equation. If you're starting out and you're spending a small amount of money, the return probably isn't going to be enormous because you're not spending enough money to meet that return. However, there's exponential gains because you're going to write that copy regardless. And when we're here and we're running $40,000 worth of ads a week into that copy, you know, and you're converting on that page at you know, 22, 23% instead of like 15%, then that's just wild. You know, the entire business model, all of a sudden we're making 30% more money because more people are going through the landing page. Not to mention people who do read it are going to be impacted and those people are going to come back at a later point in time. So for me, you know, when you're deciding whether to do this, I always take it back to numbers. And, you know, for us, like where we are, for a lot of you guys, it's an absolute no-brainer. Yeah. And, and like you said, your conversions might increase, you know, a good copy, but also the people, like AP said earlier, the people that are coming through to the calls are already pre-sold. They've been taken yeah. on this journey. So your, your sales conversions on the call increases and that's, that's the power of a good copy. Yeah. I mean, it is, you, you've got to be at the right stage to do it, but it is an investment. Yeah. You've, I mean, I know guys that are charging 50 to $75,000 for a sales page or a VSL. Which sounds crazy to some people, but the people they're writing for might make five, ten million dollars from that. Yeah. So that is a good investment. 
100%. Awesome. Look, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. We'll have you on again sometime. And once again, if you guys do want to reach out to Connor, we'll also leave the details in the show notes. Thanks. Hey!